Welcome to Conscious Curiosity San Diego, the podcast that provides the backstory of local successful San Diego leaders who bring hope, inspiration, and purpose to the work they do and the people they lead. Conscious Curiosity is sponsored by Conscious Capitalism San Diego, and I'm your host, Jeff Blanton from Jailbreak Leadership. Conscious Capitalism calls for a different type of leadership, a leader that seeks a higher purpose for business beyond profit that positively impacts all stakeholders employees, vendors, and the community they work in. We will explore why they have come to lead in this way, the rewards and challenges of being a conscious leader, and their vision for the future for their businesses and the community of San Diego. Have you ever seen a natural influencer in action? Earlier this year, it was the first meeting where we all came together to discuss the relaunch of Conscious Capitalism San Diego. There was about 16 or 17 of us in this big conference room at the hotel, which consisted of board members like myself, and this whole new group of amazing local business leaders who had all raised their hands to come join the conscious capitalism movement. As we went around the room answering the question, why are you here? One after another, these business leaders kept saying the same thing. Michael said to be here, and when Michael says to do something, you just know you need to get involved. Well, that Michael happens to be here today, Michael Hearth, one of the founders of Last Parking and the chief cultural officer, is here today as our guest. Michael, welcome. Thank you, Jeff. I'm happy to be here. I have to say, I was sitting in that meeting, I got a little nervous because at some point I felt like uh, I joined the Michael Hearth cult <laughs> or something. So I just, to me, I was blown away on the consistency of everybody going, Michael says something, we all like to listen. And so just a natural influencer, you came in, I said, we're going to talk about your influence. You go, I'm not an influencer. <laughs> well, I hate to tell you, buddy, but you are. <laughs> Thank you. So anyways, uh, we're here to hear the backstory of Laz, how that's come to be, get to know you. So uh, let me turn it over to you. Who, who's Michael Hearth? Huh. Who wants to know Michael Hearth? Um, well, I grew up back east, and I moved to California when I was about 19. Went to UCSD, graduated in 1981, and decided, decided to start a valet parking company, which was just kind of a fluke thing that I thought I'd do for the summer. And it worked out pretty well, and uh, I shared the idea with my two best friends that I grew up with in Connecticut, where I grew up in a small town called Bloomfield, Connecticut. Uh, Jeff Carp and Al Laz uh, were my best friends from junior high, and I shared the idea with them, and within several months, the three of us actually started valet parking companies in three different cities, San Diego, Boston, and Hartford. See, I told you you're an influencer. Uh, I don't know about <laughs> an influencer. Just sharing some ideas. Michael says start a valet company, and what did they do? <laughs> they started um, valet companies. Yeah, and to make a very long story short, um, several years later, Jeff and Al merged their company together and formed what was called Laz Parking. Uh, the original name of the company was Sunset Valet in all three cities. Um, so they became Laz Parking. I stayed separate out here in San Diego under the Sunset brand. And 28 years later, we managed to put the companies together. And what started as three guys who just grew up together parking some cars has turned into the second largest parking company in the country and the largest privately owned parking company in the country. We have, well, pre-pandemic, we had 15,000 employees. We're back up to about 10,000 employees. We have over 3,000 locations, 35 states, 400 cities, and it's just been an amazing ride. Crazy, right? Crazy. <laughs> could, you, could you ever imagine? Yeah, we always say, who would have thunk? Huh? <laughs> that is crazy. Well, I find it really interesting. I mean, this whole idea that the three of you guys, as buddies in junior high school, hanging out, and here you are, uh, what, 
30, 40 years later, running this big business. Uh, that's just a really crazy story. I mean, maybe share a little bit more about that. I mean, what, what brought you guys together originally? Um, I actually met Jeff in junior high, just we played baseball together, became really good friends. And he kept telling me about his friend, Al Laz. You got to meet Al Laz. And Al Laz was away at school. He was at a boarding school. And he came home one weekend, and the three of us connected on a basketball court and just instantly had this chemistry. And it was then from that day forward, it was if I was with Jeff, they'd say, where's Al? If I was with Al, they'd say, where's Jeff? And vice versa. And we just had this, you know, just kind of adolescent friendship that never went away. And so... You know, the basis probably of our friendship and our partnership and why it's been successful, and obviously it's been the result of us attracting a lot of amazing people into our lives, but it comes down to this incredible level of trust that we have amongst our friendship. And when you have trust, you know, you feel comfortable to be who you are and bring your best self to every moment and every situation. Obviously, we're all wired to work hard and, and our, our commonality around just really caring about people. Um, you know, you'll hear a lot about that in conscious capitalism, but caring about people, that was the common denominator. We, yeah. we, we worked hard. We love people. We love seeing people succeed. And, you know, obviously you got to have a certain level of business acumen as well. Right. But um, it's all come together. It's been this incredible formula. But probably the, the number one thing is the, our ability to attract other amazing people into our organization. I, I look around the room and we're at one of our meetings with, you know, a couple hundred of our senior leaders, and you're just like, this is insane. These people are all amazing. They're just, any one of them could be a rock star individually and collectively. It's just rocket fuel. Yeah. So you, you were commenting about trust, right? And obviously, you guys were young guys. Sports seemed to be the common thing. When I, when I look at trust, it's usually because you've gone through some wars together, right? I mean, that, that's what creates trust, is I know what I can count on you for and vice versa. Um got a story <laughs> what, what well, did you guys like steal something one day yeah. run from the cops i mean what, what brought it together all of the above <laughs> um you know I, well trust is built over time right so with friendships it's just built on all the memories you're building together all the situations you've been through but i would say the best story is you know you just can't get away from covid and and what we all went through as business owners so you know, the story for us is, you know, March 13th, we woke up in 2020 and went, the whole world is going to change. We, we're, a, we're a hospitality-driven business in a lot of markets. And over a period of weeks, we had to furlough thousands of people. And you can imagine how that would wreak havoc on an organization. But we realized right up front that then the number one thing we needed to do was to communicate with our people and let them know, you know, what was our plan. So the first thing we told everybody is, look, this is serious. Make some dramatic changes to our business, and we're going to actually stop taking salaries. The four main partners, myself, Jeff, oh, okay. Al, Jeff Al, and a gentleman named Mike Kuziak, who's our fourth partner. Um, we said, look, we're not going to take any salary for 90 days. We are going to create a $1 million employee relief fund for any employee who's furloughed, who wants to apply for um, for funds to help them get through this period. And we really actually, quite frankly, politically, 
Al's very connected in, in D.C., we really started pushing for them to pass some kind of relief bill. So that's kind of behind the scenes what we did to just set the stage. And then we went to work to just retool our company over eight weeks to just completely pivot and cut our expenses so we could get through. We had 95% of our transient revenues went away overnight. So we didn't know how this whole thing was going to shake out. But by May, we had turned the company around. A number of our employees were asked to take a pay cut, anywhere from 10 to 25%. And by July, we had pivoted it strongly enough where our cash flow came back. We went to our employees and we said, if we can hit certain benchmarks, we're going to reinstate everybody's salary, back paid to July 1st. So by November, I think it was late October, early November, we back paid everybody to July 1st, their full salaries. And then at the end of the year, we told our employees, once we hit a certain profit level, we're taking 100% of that money and giving to you as bonuses. We paid out over $3.5 million in bonuses. So, you know, a lot of people say that this COVID um, experience has ripped companies apart or made them their employees weary of whether they want to stay with them. I think we had the exact opposite. Our employees went, these guys stepped up and did the right thing and we all saved the company so it's been in, i think the trust level is higher today than it's ever been i'm gonna say that's a whole exercise right there in building trust right all of a sudden we're, we're in the weeds together <laughs> Use the word weeds. Yeah. um and how did you respond right it's like nah, we're all in this together we're gonna take care of each other and so i mean wow that gives me a chill just thinking about yeah. that because and then you look at the other side where, you know, I'm seeing numbers like 65% of people are looking for jobs and things like that because obviously the trust didn't get built. It went the other way. So that's, that's absolutely amazing, Michael. Yeah, you know, we measure the engagement level. One of the key metrics I look at is what's our retention rate of our salaried employees because we have a lot of hourly positions that naturally turn over. People are going to college. They're transitionary jobs. For an hourly frontline employee, it makes sense. And a lot of them actually – learn to love the company and stay with the company long-term. And a lot of our people, I've got people in their, you know, early forties that have been with us 20 plus years. Oh, that says something. Yeah. But our retention rate is over 86%. And amongst our higher paid salaried employees, it's, it's 95%. So we call ourselves the last family because we look at ourselves as a giant family business and we take care of our people. We love our people. It's all about the people. Yeah. Can we ask a little bit more about the partnership piece of this? Um, you know, you guys started out together, you know, junior high, and then over these years you come together later on really to, to come engaged again. And what I mean, to me, business partners look like a marriage. And you have three of them. So I don't know, I make, I don't know if that's better or worse. I mean, at some level that might be it's a great question. Do you think it's better having three? You know, the, the three twine cord, whatever, versus the two, um, where like one person kind of gets out of line, the other two can go, hey, wait a minute. I mean, how, how's, how's that dynamic? Yeah, well, there's there's really four of us who run okay, the company far, together. Okay. There's Mike Kuziak, who's an amazing individual who actually started in 1981. He was Al's first employee. And um, so the four of us, we run it, we call it the diamond. And um, I, I, think, like I think the unique the unique structure is that the four of us are very involved in the day-to-day. And so while we have, you know, 10,000 and we'll be back up to probably 15,000 employees within the next three to six months, the organization's pretty flat because all our senior leaders and even middle managers have access to the partners. So, you know, we use obviously the term servant leadership as kind of our mantra. We're here to serve our employees so they can serve our clients and our customers. Um, so the four of us, 
yeah, we all have different strengths for sure. And, but we're all aligned around the same values in the mission. And our mission is to create opportunities for our employees and value for our clients. And we purposely put the employees first because we look at like our why is to help people. We love helping people succeed. And, you know, what the what we do is park cars, but the why we do it is to help people. Right, the grander purpose. Exactly, higher purpose. And the four of us are, are aligned in that, but our, our skill sets are different. And so we, we come to problem solving from different perspectives, and we balance each other out. And I think, so to your point, you know, yeah, if, if you're, the, you know, the old it's lonely at the top, right? You know, if you're running a company, it is lonely at the top. But I think the four of us, and I think there's a lot of other leaders as we develop senior vice presidents and regional vice presidents who all, you know, a friend of mine calls it, uh, one of my friends in the, in the company, Ken Knight, calls it Batman and Robin, where you you match people together. And obviously, you know, the the interaction amongst people who are running a business is so much stronger than trying to do it on your own. So to, your, to, your, to answer your question, yeah, I think, you know, if, if you have other people that you're collaborating with, especially in an environment where people feel comfortable voicing their real true opinion, you know, it's way more powerful than trying to do something on your own. So one of the keys, you're staying close to what's going on. <laughs> you're not like uh, eight layers away. Mm-hmm. And I like that idea, you know, lonely at the top, because you always picture one person sitting at the top and you got a whole team up there. You, you spoke about the different strengths and talents uh, of the different, obviously it's always going to play out that way. Did you just naturally fall into roles and responsibilities, or did you guys kind of proactively try to look at that and make sure, you know, the various partners got in the right roles? How, how did that evolve for you? I think it evolved naturally, and we all gravitate to our strengths, and I think we have enough overlap. Like, for example, the understanding of the business, all four of us just – I mean, we understand the business. We've been doing it 40 years. If we don't have it down now, we're, we shouldn't be where we are. Um, but I think, I think more than that, you know, like, you know, my strength is I come at it from a people cultural perspective and Alaz comes at it from a, a vision and a long-term perspective. Mike Kuziak is amazing at the operational side of the business and, um, holding people accountable to the different objectives we set every year. And, and, and Jeff is really multi-talented. He not only knows the business, he's a great networker. Um, he's great at looking at acquisitions. He understands numbers and how to look at deals. So we all we all have a certain baseline, but then we have our individual strengths. And um, and I think it's important in any uh, executive management group to celebrate the strengths and leverage the strengths. You know, a friend of mine in business used to say, we spend, you know, you don't spend a lot of time making your best pitcher a great batter. You just make him a better pitcher. And I think that's true in business, you know, find people's strengths and leverage those to get as much out of them as you can. I think that's probably the magic of what we've done throughout the company is allow people to say, you know, we'll ask people, what, what do you feel are your strengths? What's your, what are your passions? What do you really want to do? And we'll try to build a program around that so they can be more valuable to the organization and feel better about what they're doing. You do know most people don't ask that question, right? <laughs> <laughs> we fill people like with the technical sort of side of things and not necessarily really the bigger picture. And I think often people don't even really recognize what their strengths are, right? They've gotten put into a role and they may be pretty good at the role, but that might not be the role. Kind of the, the Michael Jordan baseball versus basketball. Yeah, pretty good baseball player. Amazing basketball player. Yeah, so. I think that's absolutely true, especially when you, we have a lot of, like I said, we have a lot of young people who've come up through the organization, they start in their 20s, let's say, and 
you know, again, we have people that are in their mid thirties to early forties that have been doing this over 20 years. And I've had the privilege of watching them and in some cases mentoring them um, and guiding them along their careers. And it's amazing what you see people grow into. It's just, uh, it's, it's humbling to be part of that. It's fun sure. to watch that. See it's people absolutely. step in and just start to do some amazing things because you let them do it, right? Versus trying to put them in a box and control them and yeah. give them a standing operating procedure or whatever. Exactly. Um, so just talking about Laz a little bit here, you guys actually seen lots of growth and you're talking about COVID and the big challenge of that. Were there some other major defining moments in, as you guys through the years that really kind of, you know, made you guys who you are today? I mean, anything that pops out there? It yeah. might maybe a struggle or just yeah, a coincidence well, of luck? Or you know, it, it's interesting, and I would, I would share this with other leaders. I, I used to think part of my job was to help protect my employees or the people who are working directly under me. And what I've come to realize, especially after we merged with Laz, is it's, it's the trials and tribulations, it's the challenges that first make you grow and secondly bond people together. And so, you know, I could probably tell you story after story here, you know, for so many different challenges that we've had over the years. But one that really comes to mind is in 2009, um, we won a large contract to take over the entire city of Chicago's parking operation. So they had 36,000 parking space meters, single space meters you stuck, you know, quarters into. And that never in the history of parking in this country um, had literally a city turned over an entire operation said, okay, you know, on, on this day, it was in February. Of was that a city operation before that? It was in, it was a city operation okay. and they had, they had outsourced it as a concession agreement and we were the operator and there were some investors as well. So we were representing the investors in the city and um, it was a challenge. It was really an unbelievable rock your world challenge because it had never been done before to make a long story short when we realized how big the challenge was and how much more labor we needed, we had a phone, <coughs> we had a phone call on a Thursday. And by that Monday, we had flew 150 people in from around the country to basically retool the entire operation because a lot of the meters weren't working that well. And there was so much to do. It was underestimating on our part and how much we had to do. And through that incredible effort, we had so many people bond behind the purpose of we're not going to fail. We, we are going to get this done. And within six months, we completely retooled it from single space meters that you stuck your quarters into to um, what we call um, pay and display, which is, you know, basically a more sophisticated machine where you could pay with your credit card and you have one machine for the entire city block. But we put in 2,400 of those. Never again, the consultants and the people who had looked there like, there's no way you can retool an entire city in six months, but we did it. And again, it was just one of these Herculean efforts. And so many of our senior leaders today are people who flew to that city and spent six months to a year there to, with the common bond of we will not fail, we will make this work. And then about four years later, we were rated one of the top, that was rated one of the top parking systems in the world. Wow, what a great story. Uh, it, it had an it had a 85% uptime when we took it over and at 99.97% uptime when we were done with it six months later. So you do something like, it's like winning the Super Bowl, right? <laughs> now we're a winner. Yeah, 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 parking Super Bowl. <laughs> I used to do a lot of sailboat racing and like, you know, you're out there with your fleet and on a multi kind of regatta day and 
and some somebody from the back of the pack ends up in the front after Saturday or something, you go, I don't worry about that. <laughs> they don't know how to win. Yeah. And they don't, right? But when you learn how to win, the team learns how to learn, they get confidence in each other. Amazing things start to happen. Ah, that's a great story. Let's talk a little bit about conscious capitalism. How did you get involved in that? And now you're, you know, really involved, really involved here in San Diego as well. So how, how did that all come about? So initially, um, a local gentleman, uh, Malcolm Abner, introduced me to it in San Diego. And I got involved locally and enjoyed the people I was meeting and really was kind of just scratching the surface on what conscious capitalism was. And then I believe it was... Uh, 2017, I went to the CCI event in Austin, and there's about 200, 250 senior leaders, CEOs primarily from around the country, and uh, this was kind of ground zero for conscious capitalism because you had John Mackey and Raj Sisodia, the founders there, and it was just this remarkable experience. I, I went with myself and Al Laz, just the two of us, and the people that we met, the conversations that we had, the presentations that we heard just kind of blew our mind. It was like, you know, we realized, obviously, we were the unconscious conscious capitalism. And what the, the common denominator is, you know, people who really care about leveraging their business to um, elevate humanity. And the powerful ideas and the people in that room just, like, stoked my flames on conscious capitalism. I walked out of there going, you know, there, I am not going to miss one of these events again. And, and so I went back in, in 18 and 19 and, you know, in 2020, obviously it was canceled or, or they didn't hold it in person. But it, it, it just kind of planted the seed in my mind that wouldn't it be cool if in addition to having that national um, event every year, we could build a local community. And I think conscious capitalism locally was just kind of rolling along. It maybe didn't have as much energy and it certainly didn't have some of the finances it needed to um, be successful locally. So I just kind of got charged up and, you know, to your point, I started talking to some friends, people that I knew had businesses locally and said, Hey, this is a really cool organization. What can we do to, you know, kind of put this on supercharge in San Diego? And that's how we all came together. Here we are. <laughs> and here we are. And thank you to you for doing this podcast. Cause I think it's helping the cause. I'm trying to get the word out, right? This is a movement. This is about us uh, all coming together to change, I think, what San Diego looks like, the whole business environment and the impact that we can have. I, I believe business is the, is the biggest influencer out here where we all come together pretty common with some common goals. So I just think it's a great opportunity. How, how did you uh, at LAS embrace uh, you know, the conscious capitalism? I mean, you went, you started to hear some things start to hear about the four tenants, these kinds of things. How did you start to integrate that in? Obviously, you're already doing some things, but how did you start to take it to the next level? Yeah, that's that's a great question. You know, I, I think we started off first with the four partners, just getting to know the organization and understanding it and networking and getting to know the people. And then I think it came down to sharing some of the ideas of the things that we had heard with our senior leaders and started referring to ourselves as a conscious company and talking about, you know, the tenets of conscious capitalism, what conscious capital, what the movement is. Um, and then actually in 2020, we had our, we call it, we, ha we have an annual meeting, we call it the Laz Family Reunion. And we bring together our senior leaders and we actually had Raj Sisodia come and speak at that meeting. So our top leaders got to hear right from Raj, you know, what's the vision and how really, terms of endearment, the different books that he'd written, and just get to know him and, and what the movement was about. 
And from there, you know, there's, look, you can't force people to gravitate to something. But we start referring to ourselves as a conscious business. And when we talk to whether it's potential clients or existing clients or senior employees or even frontline employees about what it means to run our business consciously, to be conscious capitalists, it starts becoming part of the language of the organization. So I think we're still integrating this movement into our organization. Um, But it just starts with words and conversations. And um, again, we have so many amazing people in our company and the common denominator is most people really like seeing other people succeed. They, they like being successful themselves, but they like helping other people and conscious capitalism, I think is all about how do we take care of all the stakeholders. Mm. So it's kind of a natural fit. And I think, I don't think you can force it in. I think you just have to naturally let it run its course and become part of who you are. So where do you see that going within the organization? You had made a comment to me that you'd really like to see this be a uh, generational company, not just, uh, you know, one shot and you guys go off on this, but to really maintain the values and all these things you've created. What, what are you doing to make that happen? And yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, we're looking at, you know, we're at, we're at the point in our lives with the founders where, you know, while we are going to be intimately involved in the business for the foreseeable future, we're also thinking about our legacy, obviously. So the first thing we've done is, you know, we've handpicked a, a group of senior leaders, senior senior vice presidents and, and regional vice presidents who think like owners, they think like us. And they, while they bring their own unique talents and perspectives, the commonality is we've been successful because we're a people-focused organization. We, If we take care of our people, if we invest in our people, we create a conscious culture where people feel they can be themselves. They can take risks. They're they're not going to be chastised for making mistakes. You know, if you make a mistake at Laz, we're not about the mistake. We're about what did you just learn from that situation? How can you share what happened to you and your market or your situation with the other 200 people across the company who are running their own individual little organizations within our company? So... I see it as, you know, just one of our basic tenets of how we look at the world and how we look at running the business. We, our success is solely based on believing in people, trusting people, um, developing and, and investing in people so they can be them best, their best selves. And that's why our retention rate of our employees is so high. If you work in a place where, you know, you feel like I'm psychologically safe. I belong to this incredible group of people. We call it the Laz way, our mission, our values, our practices. It's our, it's our compass, if you will, of who we are and how we show up. And then this higher purpose of, hey, through my job, I can actually you know, make a difference in the world, make a difference in people's lives. Um, why would you want to leave that? So I, I think as long as we can stay true to that vision for our legacy, um, I'm really optimistic that it, it's going to carry on. It's all, it's, you know, we're just not going to let the wrong people get in the mix. We're going to make sure it's the right people. Right. At the end of the day, it's always about the people. No, you're saying that. I'm, I'm just always, in my mind, I think it's interesting. You know, companies will go through a lot of exercise to make investments, capital equipment investments and all this. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it has a limited value, right? You can only mm-hmm. get so much out of a machine. But every person has, like, unlimited potential. And if you've got 15,000 employees, yeah. if you could tap into that, just be 10% better than, you know, the rest of the world, what, you know, what does that become? I mean, that's just, yeah. a, that's just a phenomenal idea. 
And I don't know why leadership and management just hasn't really grabbed onto that, but we're going to do it, right? I, I hope so. I the, think the wave it, is being formed, Michael. There you go. <laughs> and, and I think, you know, in fairness, there are companies that invest in their people. And, and, but it's, it's more than just it's investing. It's creating a culture and just an ethos around this sense of really feeling like you belong and you're going to be taken care of and you're going to take care of others. That whole package, right? It's not just one thing. It's, it's, it's got to be it's, the whole it's suite of things. It's got to be 360. It's got And it's yeah. got to be authentic. It can't be something you're doing just because it's, you know, the management thing of the month. So one of the questions I was going to ask you, but obviously you're already kind of touching on this thing. So of all the things going on, what's really exciting you as a leader? I mean, if you were if you're gonna leave here right now <laughs> and go do the, your most favorite thing you get to do on a daily, weekly, monthly, whatever, maybe it's even an annual basis, other than going to the conscious capitalism event, right? <laughs> what's what's the thing that's most exciting for you? You know, I just I never lose my enthusiasm for mentoring our people. You know, I just I love seeing the people that I've worked with continue to grow and get better in their own not just careers, but their personal lives. And so, you know, I, I just love whether it's, you know, an employee who's been with us for six months to a year and just joined the organization, I can reach out and just check in with them and see how they're doing. Or somebody who's been with us for 10 or 15 years and they're moving up, or maybe they have people underneath them that they feel like I should reach out to. Just staying connected to the people and showing them how deeply we care for them and how much we want to see them succeed and how we're here for them. Um, I mean, I could do that all day long. I don't have enough time because I have other things that I obviously have to do every day. We all last time we were together, we were buying a parking lot. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so, so there's, you know, there's, there's different things that we're up against every day, but if I could do one thing every day, it would really just be mentoring and helping people in their careers. Um, and, and I think there's a lot of that. I think there's a lot of people doing that. Um, but that would be the one thing. So as a leader, you're running a good size organization that's spanning across the country. What do, what do you see happening over the next two to three years? What, what are you thinking about? What are you preparing for? How's technology playing into the equation? Um, automated car driving. We don't have uh, that anymore. Everybody's Ubering. What, what are you thinking about? What, yeah. what's, what are you worried about? What, what's, what's happening? What are you excited about? A lot of people are looking at the industry. You know, pre-COVID, a lot of people were saying, hey, between Uber and automated driving, you know, people aren't going to be having as many cars and won't be as many cars parking. And, you know, what we've found, and actually this is a huge shift in our industry, and we have put millions and millions of dollars behind this internally, is is shifting our mindset from we're not just a parking company, but we're now a mobility company. We're, mo we're also a logistics company. We're also a, a, a dispersed real estate asset company because we have so many locations across the country. There's a lot of logistics to getting you know, products to their end users. So, and, th and then a lot of cities have gone into their core and said, we're taking away these parking spaces. And during COVID, obviously, a lot of them became um, restaurant spaces, but that may eventually go away. But they're retooling the way um, shared lanes are used. For example, there's not as much parking. A lot of it's our, our bike lanes now. So the whole inner city has shifted. Um, Uber, and, and Lyft and ride sharing will probably come back, but I think a whole generation is gonna go, there's no way I'm giving up my car. Um, so we actually are extremely optimistic about our industry, not only in terms of volumes that we're gonna see with people getting back in their cars and just relying on their cars in a way that maybe they weren't two or three years ago. Um, we also believe that you know all these automated vehicles 
whenever they come to fruition. I think they're a little further out than a lot of people believe, but they're all, they're all going to need to be charged. They're going to need to be parked. There's EV charging across the country. The, you know, the parking spot is going to become the new gas station. It, it's, it's endless. And then there's a whole level of, you know, BI, business intelligence that we're working on, and then the connectivity of using your phone to park. I can go on and on. You know, that's a whole other podcast. There's so many cool things that we're doing, and we're investing so much money behind the scenes to be the leader in this. That, um, And you combine that with how aligned we are as an organization, our ability through COVID to pivot our whole um, operational platform in eight weeks shows us that when we come up with these innovative ideas, we can roll them out very quickly. So we are super excited about where the industry is going. We have no second thoughts about our viability as a long-term player. And I, I think, you know, we're going to be rolling out a lot of firsts or across the country. It's super exciting. Wow. Nice. I like that. A little optimism here. There you go. So, Kind of coming to the end of our uh, our podcast here. Any big idea or what what message would you like to really send to our audience? Maybe some question I didn't ask, but sure. what's what's the big thought, Michael? You know, I, I think locally, I would speak mostly to the San Diego office or, or not San Diego office, San Diego community um, about conscious capitalism and hopefully giving some serious thought to joining the local tribe, if you will. I believe that San Diego is a remarkable community with so many great thought leaders. We've already assembled a, a pretty good base, but what we need to do is get out there and find people that um, believe in conscious capitalism and the four tenants and, and how we collectively can create a community of business leaders who can drive a new view of what it means to be a capitalist and how we can leverage businesses and successful businesses and help you know, moderately successful businesses become more successful so we can give back to the community and, and not just the local community, but ultimately the global community. There's a lot of challenges in the world. There's a lot of haves and have nots. There's, there's climate change issues. Um, there's maybe a lack of optimism amongst some of the millennials and younger people of what it means to be in business and what business is all about. And I really believe that business can be one of the biggest forces of good in the world. You can leverage business, especially if it's a profitable business to invest back into their communities, into their people, into moving the needle. And if we could do that collectively and help one another become our better version of our individual selves and our organizational selves, um, I, I just think it makes for a really optimistic view of the future, you know, and it's better than sitting back on your heels and just saying, hey, I'm just going to run my business and I'm not going to worry about anyone else. I think we all have to band together and see how we can make a difference and move the needle. So this takes us back where we started. When Michael says, join, join. <laughs> <laughs> Full circle, come on. <laughs> you, anything you want to promote at this moment here? You got any nonprofits you're involved in or... Uh, <laughs> Anything you want to promote? Go yeah. for it. Well, we have a number. You know, Laz spends uh, close to a million dollars a year or more just donating to ch- different charities and fundraising. But um, I would encourage everybody to try to give back to their communities. But uh, you know, if I was gonna, if I was gonna leave you with one thought, it would be everybody votes every day with their dollars. People spend money for goods and services, you know, through their business and personally. 
And I think the more we can think about where we're spending our money, the more we can have an impact or support those who can have an impact. So, you know, I'm hoping if you're parking your car, you know, if you see a last sign, you'll certainly happily pull in and spend your money there and know that your money's not just uh, going into a, a parking machine. It's, it's actually going into an organization that cares about people and cares about the world, the environment, the climate, um, and, and helping people improve their lives. So let's all spend our dollars wisely, support businesses that are conscious, that, that care about the world that they live in, and we'll, I think we'll all be a little bit better off. Uh, Michael, that's awesome. Well, that's kind of wraps us up here for the day. And uh, I want to thank you for taking the time to come to the show and share your amazing experience, insights, and wisdom. And for all the work you're doing here in San Diego to help the Conscious Capitalism Movement uh, move forward. So that's it for today. Um, if you enjoyed this, please hit the like button and please subscribe because that's the best way that we can uh, get the word out about Conscious Capitalism here in San Diego. So I'm Jeff Blanton saying, in the meantime, go do what you do. Go do what you do best because we're all counting on you.